RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. Hey, I've got an idea for a Tuesday night. You, us, some computers and microphones, you put them all together, and you've got Mission Log Live. I'm John Champion. And I'm Ken Ray. Each week on Mission Log Live, you bring it. You call in, you chime in, you ring in with your questions, your comments, concerns, I guess, if you want to. Star Trek The Experience was this truly just awesome thing uh, filled with characters, several of whom will be here this evening. Two actors here this evening, but they represented several characters in The Experience. April Hebert and Kirsten Shapansky will join us to tell us how it worked and share their experience of the experience. Now, we would love to hear your experience of the experience as well. So to do that, you're going to have to get in touch with us. The good news is there are a few ways. You can click on the link in your Zoom meeting, in our Zoom meeting, in the Zoom meeting, or you can use the one tap from your smartphone. Uh, You can even call us the old-fashioned way, uh, punching in numbers like one of those chickens that plays tic-tac-toe at the fair. Uh, 669-900-6833, 669-900-6833, that is the number to call. Then you enter the meeting code that you'll find in the show description, and uh, and then we just start talking. Yeah, so thank you to everybody who is joining us live tonight. Uh, I, who do I see right now? We got Meredith. I believe she's a number one Mission Log Live fan, Ken not mistaken there uh we got mark we got paul saying hi john mcquillan john kikorian so a lot of familiar faces there thank you all to everyone who's joining us tonight now if you're catching the show after the live broadcast we welcome you as well remember you find us each week and the previous episodes at facebook.com slash mission log pod or at youtube.com slash roddenberry prod If you're more of an audio-only kind of person, like let's say you're driving, please don't watch the video while you're driving. Well, we've got you covered there for audio. The audio from this show goes out in its very own podcast feed. You can find that on iTunes and wherever fine podcasts are downloaded. Speaking of fine podcasts, head over to podcast.roddenberry.com where you will find links to all of our shows. Mission Log, The Trek Files, Women at War, Priority One. It's just a, a carnival of fine podcasts and as long as you are here right now like and share because sharing is caring now if you joined us last week you got a teaser of the really cool vr thing that we're working on uh, with our friends over at sensar.com i actually was wandering around the bridge earlier today john Oh, you were, you were. Yes, was I was. It, it was, uh-huh. it was pretty cool. It was pretty awesome. Um, what, what my favorite thing, and every time I go, I find something else to like about it, but yes. I always forget this one. If you look straight up, you can see, you know, the galaxy just sort of flying by in that window uh, that we zoomed in on during the cage. You remember oh, right. the very first episode yeah. of, well, the one that actually never happened. I mean, it did, right. but it didn't. <laughs> yes. um, so if you look straight up, you can just see, you can see stars and, and galaxies and, and all kinds of things just whizzing by. Uh, don't do it for too long. Okay. All right. Cause, <laughs> cause you know, Ooh, yeah. Tiny bit. Yeah. No, see what, what you're saying though, is you're teasing this really incredible experience. You can only have in VR on our bridge, but nobody can get to that bridge yet because we're Not safe. Yet. 
Yeah, we're saving it for May 22nd in our post-show hangout. And you can be prepared to join us for that post-show hangout on May 22nd. You go over to sansar.com, find out how to get started. And here's the thing. Even if you don't have a VR rig, the goggles and the whole thing, don't worry. You're not left out. You can join us through your computer as well. As long as you've got a PC running Windows, you can join us in the Sansar environment. And we will release that link a little closer to that date. So uh, keep your eyes open for that. We'll put it on Facebook. We'll put it on Twitter. And we'll let people know where to go to hang out with us on the TOS Bridge. And that thing is beautiful. We showed some preview images last week. And that yeah, thing is it is. Yeah, it is really cool. Uh, there is one thing we would suggest before two weeks from now, though. Go ahead to Sansar.com and set up your account. Doesn't cost anything, but you'll uh, as long as you're running a Windows machine, uh, you can download the application. You can go ahead and set up your avatar as well, because if you try to do that like five minutes before you go in, uh, you'll be showing up five minutes after we're done. And it's not that they're (laughs) slow. It's just it's hard to like it's hard to build your avatar. I mean, it took me. I I took far too much time. What is it they call it? Uh, The guys over the guys over at Priority One refer to it as Space Barbie. When you first go into Star Trek Online and start building your avatar, a lot of people they don't even get to the game the first time because they um, you know spend so much time making their guy look just the way they want it to or their gal. Um, So you know, play Space Barbie before that night, and then on the twenty second, come hang out with us because after this show, we'll be doing that thing there. Reminder. Uh, We'll meet April and Kirsten in a few minutes. So if you have stories to share about the experience, your experience with the experience, or questions about how it all worked, now is the time to call in and be ready. Again, you can click the Zoom link or call 669-900-6833, If you were a betting guy or gal, you could probably bet what our poll question is this week. But hold on. We're not ready for this week's poll question. Uh, We're going to recap last week's first. Yeah, so last week I'm still shocked by this, and it has nothing to do with the holodeck or the reality of experience. I'm I'm really shocked that last week we asked if you were going to Star Trek Las Vegas. Yes, 10%, no, 90%. And I guess I'm not shocked in the greater scheme of things. It's, you know, however many thousands of people go to Vegas for that one event. I guess I'm surprised because it seems to me there's a lot of crossover between the Mission Log audience and the going to STLV audience, but not a lot of people planning to go this year, at least out of the people who are voting in our poll. So uh, we hope that all 10% of you, we hope that you come by our table. We'd love to say hi. Yeah, that'd be really cool. Although if you could time it so you don't all come by at once. Yeah, because true. that might that might be a lot. Yeah, uh, so that was last week's poll question. This week's poll question. And this is going to shock you. Uh, did you ever go to the Star Trek, the experience experience? The I think I had one too many of these and there maybe two. Did you ever go to Star Trek, the experience in Las Vegas? Uh, it's really Vegas centric for the past couple of weeks, John. We need to come up with a mm-hmm. new Vegas question next week. Uh, so far, the yeses are 36%. The noes are 64%. Um, of course, as far as the hosts of this show, you're looking at 100%. Mm-hmm. But I assume we'll be talking about our experiences with the experience as the night goes on. And, of course, we want to have other people uh, uh, call in with theirs as well. I can't um, wait to experience that. <laughs> the, the, the thing will be awesome, John. The, the, the will. thing will be. Yeah. Uh, do we want to talk about who's coming up on the show in coming weeks, or do we want to get to this week's show and then tease the other people later? It's not nice you know, to I, tease people I, at all. I, I'm going to tease 
that we will be teasing them later. I'm going to tease okay. that, that we want you to hang on because later I'm going to tell you who's coming up on the show in coming weeks. How about that? So later you're going to tell people who's going to be on later. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Believe it. That's, yeah. that's just, yeah. that, it's like, it's like inception in here today, <laughs> isn't it? So it uh, is. then why don't you please, if you wouldn't mind, sir, go ahead and introduce the people we have on tonight. We have two fantastic guests who, uh, this is the coolest thing about them. They were there from the beginning of Star Trek The Experience. For those of you who didn't get to go, who know nothing about it, um, Star Trek The Experience was open at the Las Vegas Hilton. It opened January 3rd, 1998. Uh, and then a little bit later, the Borg Invasion 4D opened March 18th, 2004. The whole shebang closed September 1st, 2008. But for that 10-year run plus... Our two guests were there, boots on the ground, working that show. We have April Hebert and Kristen Schapansky, and uh, I just want to bring them both on so they can tell us what they did, how they did it. It was a pretty magical place, and I know that we've got stories to tell. I know that our audience has stories to tell, so I'm waiting for them to call in and share those with us. April and Kirsten, welcome to the show. Hello there. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. Uh, let me let me just start with the, just the most basic and, and maybe dumb question. I don't know. Uh, actors first or Star Trek fan first that got you, you know, to say, I'm going to go. Uh, I'm going to go see what I can uh, shake up at the experience. Well, I can tell you that I was I wasn't born a Star Trek fan, but I did. Uh, I did watch the original Star Trek series um, in my mother's bedroom on a little 10-inch television set uh, because my family wouldn't watch it with me, so I was by myself in the bedroom back in the 60s. And so, um, yeah, I was an an actor then. I was a kid. So that's that's where I grew to love Star Trek, and uh, it's never ended. Kirsten, what about you? I was... I was um, a Star Trek fan. Uh, I was born a Star Trek fan, actually. My mom uh, raised me watching Star Trek. and uh, But I came to the experience more as an actor. Um, I remember walking through the Las Vegas Hilton in like 96, early 96, seeing the walled-off area where construction was happening. And seeing the adverts for Star Trek The Experience and thinking to myself, reflecting on my Vegas acting work, uh, I, I pity the poor bastards. They get to work there. And then, um, God, it was it. I don't even think it was a year later, April, when we were contacted about auditioning and starting to work there. And before you know it, I was there and it was actually very interesting. I'm an, I'm an original series fan more than a next generation fan. Um, and, and the experience really is very next generation oriented, but it was still an interesting, uh, a very interesting run, a very interesting gig to be on. And I enjoyed it a lot. And we started working there um, on August 4th of 1997. So most of the most of it was uh, constructed. There was a lot of stuff that needed pe- to be done, and so they hired us. Even though we were actors, they hired us to uh, test all the right equipment that we were going to end up actually working. 
Help well, me I, out I'm, because you said you were you guys were contacted uh, about trying out. I mean, I sort of assumed it was the other way around. Like you heard this thing, and so you went down to see uh, how how is it that you guys were. How is it that somebody reached out to you about coming to be part of it rather than the other way around? Oh, we know people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, the, um, Paramount Parks actually um, did some local hiring for management. And uh, one of the one of the connections uh, was in who was involved in the casting process and who would be involved in the uh, select selection of the actor operators was a local that April and I had worked with. So um, that's how we got that inside scoop. But we still had to go through the cattle call. We still had to go through the big uh, Paramount Parks audition that they held um, just to uh, get ourselves into the system. You would not believe how many people came in from L.A. (laughs) to audition for that. I bet. Well, I was was actually going to ask about that, but you – well, I think, April, you've – I don't, are you, are you, are you from Vegas originally? Or, I mean, like were you, you guys were both already around. You didn't actually come in from, from other places. Yeah. We were working in Vegas. Yeah. Okay. I'd only been in Vegas. Uh, uh, let's see. In 97, I'd only been in Vegas about four years, but in that four years I'd been, uh, I'd been acting on in local uh, Vegas productions, Vegas work. So that was my uh, that was my background. And, and so when you got this gig, though, as an actor, you must think, all right, now I've got a full time acting gig. This this is sort of where it's at for me. But they brought you in so early. April, you were employee number one uh, as, as an yeah. actor. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, yeah, as I said, they brought us in early when they they needed people to test the equipment. It wasn't done yet by any means. But yeah. The equipment was done to the point where the county required um, so much time on this on the equipment, um, so we can come in and run cycles. Uh, I don't maybe yeah. you can explain it better, Kirsten. What we used well, to um, I mean, we just had to run the equipment. Literally, just put it through its paces. Um, we would run shuttles without even the show. The, the shuttle would just sit there and quietly swish back and forth, moving around and everything as it ran through its requisite cycles. After each cycle, uh, when we first started, we had to run underneath the shuttle and look for oil leaks, hydraulic fluid leaks, and report them to the techs if we found any, that sort of thing. That it, um, And then the same thing for the transporter and eventually the turbo as well. It was just the the temporary certificate of occupancy that was necessary to get us on the road towards opening required like a thousand cycles per instrument um, uh, to be run, to be tested before uh, submitting for the uh, TCO. And at no we point kind of- you were like, damn it, man, I'm an actor, not a mechanic. <laughs> you were, that, that was, yeah. Yeah, well, we were, we were also going to be involved in the um, blocking and staging of the show once, um, once all of the uh, production people were in to actually establish the show. So we knew that eventually we would be acting. And April and I uh, and a few other people who came after us and within a couple of weeks were used on a lot of production and promotion. 
There was, I mean, we should probably back up a tiny bit because when we we ran the poll earlier, the question that we asked was, were you you ever on uh, the experience? And a majority of people actually watching tonight said they hadn't been. We're all sort of, I mean, you guys are immersed in it because you were there from before it opened. John and I wrote it. I mean, me, I was only there, I guess, two or three times. I don't know how many times John was. We should walk people through what it was, though, because if somebody says it was a ride, they're not that's not the whole thing. And yet if you say actors and you're like, Oh, it was a show. No, that's not the whole thing either. I mean, it's, it's kind of funny. John said, we're not talking about virtual reality. Kind of. I mean, how would you guys describe the experience from I've decided I'm going to go to Holy cow. What did I just do? (laughs) Well, it was the experience itself was a time station more than anything else. Um, there was a huge backstory to go along with it. It was a time station that had been placed in this particular time in human history so that uh, Starfleet could keep an eye on us because, you know, apparently we needed babysitting. (laughs) 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 But uh, yeah, so it was, it was a bar, a restaurant, a museum, um, lots of shops. It was, gosh, how many square feet was it, Kristen? Like 70,000 or something? I, I, I can't even remember. Yeah. I can't even remember. Many tens of thousands of square feet, all dedicated to the future. And, uh, and the rides, the Klingon Encounter or, um, was the first ride there. And in that one, you were kidnapped basically by Korath and uh, saved by the Enterprise. (laughs) And in the Borg invasion, you were, uh, it was kind of like a, it was like a, uh, like a scary ride, you know, because there were, yeah, Borg were chasing you. So um, like a haunted house kind of, except with Borg. Um, But uh, yeah, it, it was an amazing adventure, no matter what you did. And when you stepped onto, when you went down those stairs and you looked up at the the stars shining overhead and the beautiful ships, um, you were not in the 20th century anymore. You had stepped into the 24th century. And every day I got to be in the 24th century. And there's nothing like it. There's no experience that I've ever had that was like it. Experience is really what it was. It was Star Trek, the experience. You experienced Star Trek going in there, whether you were in Quark's bar mingling with aliens and, you know, having a variety of different types of Trek themed drinks or even in the retail area uh, because Ferengi were there. So, of course, there's going to be a retail area. Um, the conceit behind the show was that you're just going to go through a show and then all of a sudden things go wild and you're actually on the, uh, the enterprise D which, um, was a lot of work was put into it, making it an accurate, uh, facsimile of the stage as best as they could. A lot of the, uh, a lot of the TNG actors commented that, that sometimes they would, they would just get taken right back to uh, to the show, walking down our transit corridor or entering our bridge, even though there were minor, you know, the bridge had minor differences, but they still were amazed by it. In fact, uh, 
was it was it LeVar Burton, April, who commented how weird the bridge was because they never had a whole 360 degree bridge. Actually, most of most of them, I, I remember uh, Marina did as well uh, because, yeah, they had the, the, the cutaway bridge and ours was you walk onto the bridge and you're on the bridge. And so it was uh, it was quite, you know, something for them to see the bridge in its entirety. I remember the, uh, the first time I did it, I really thought I nearly missed my plane, actually, because the guy that I was there with was like, uh, oh, no, we'll just stop by and do that really quickly. And I'm, I'm bummed that that was the first time because I seriously had to do the experience. And the second we were, you know, off the shuttlecraft or however the story went, I had to I had to grab a cab and get to the airport ASAP. Um, but I do remember thinking, oh, I'm going to go do this ride. And then if memory serves, you actually end up, you're on the bridge long before you actually end up on the shuttlecraft, right? Yes. yes. It was, I mean, for me personally, and, and people have heard me say this, at least mission log people have heard me say this before. I cried. I mean, I didn't break down and cry, but I teared up because I, and that was my Star Trek. And so to suddenly be on my bridge of my Star Trek was, um, was an insane thing for me. Of course, I said earlier that a lot of people watching have said that they were on the experience. We want to hear from you guys as well. If you have any questions about how the whole thing came together behind the scenes stuff, or if you just want to tell us about the first time you were actually on the Star Trek experience, um, uh, click the zoom link because we'd love to hear from you or give us a call 669-900-6833. That number again, 669-900-6833. Ken, I was going to say that you're in good company because I shot an interview on the bridge with Will Wheaton and three minutes into being there, he he started, he said, yeah, I've been up here before and I tell myself that I'm not going to get choked up. And as soon as he said that, you could see his eyes start to get red and he gets a little choked up and can't get through the words because it was a very emotional experience for him to be there. And he had been there multiple times and that that still happened. And April and Kirsten, going back to what you're saying about the experience, more so than just a theme park attraction, it really was about the feeling that you got being there. I I went, I think the first time I went was 2004. I was in Vegas for a friend's wedding, and I knew that I was going to be in Vegas. I had to go to Star Trek The Experience. It was shortly after the Borg invasion opened, and... Like you guys, I I grew up working as an actor. I've worked in themed entertainment, know what it's all about. For whatever it was I spent on the ticket, 40, 50 bucks, and going through the Borg invasion, for the moment that I thought it was real, for the split second that I was afraid for my life, seeing Borg come at me, the lasers coming out of their eyes, that whole thing, that was worth every penny. I thought that was just absolutely the coolest thing about it. And then then when it's all over, you could go to sit in Quartz Bar and have a drink that will knock you on your butt for the rest of the day. We took it very seriously. We were trained. We were hired and trained uh, to view ourselves as custodians of the Trek um well, the IP, the franchise, and to be to be a part of uh, the expression of Trek in the world. And we took that seriously in terms of delivering that experience, the aliens on the floor, the star fleeters on the, uh, on the enterprise. And uh, even, even, uh, even the retailers and food and beverage people just, just had an intense love 
for what we were representing. And we took representing Trek very seriously. And it was um, in that regard, it was it was really a point of pride for us uh, to be entrusted with that and to to work with um, work with all the people involved, Viacom, CBS, Paramount, whomever to continue to promote the Trek brand and represent it as we did. I'm kind of curious. You, you both have Trek in your blood. You're both professional actors. You're both coming in really early to this project. What kind of influence did you have on the other actors of the show that was being developed? Because there are a lot of actors who came and went, some who stayed for a long time. But I'm just curious. You're, you're sort of the, uh, the, the originators of these roles. And I want to know what uh, what influence you left on the other actors. We actually, yeah, we actually did originate the roles um, and then we trained the other actors. And uh, one of the things that I used to tell them, because I knew that we were going to be doing this over and over and over again, sometimes, you know, 30, 40 shows uh, per actor per day up in the ride when you were Starfleet officer. And I would always tell them that for somebody coming through or a guest, it was the first time that that had ever happened to them. You know, even though they were doing it, the actor was doing it over and over and over, uh, that they couldn't get blasé about it. You had to realize that this was the first time and this was the first experience that this person was going to have and you had to make it worth their while. And I want to, I want to hope that uh, that kind of imprinted on them. Uh, we had wonderful actors there, some really excellent actors and it was great to work with them. Talk to me about the training. I'm curious. I mean, like you said, you originated the roles. Did somebody come to you and say, all right, here's who you're playing. Or did you come to people and say, Hey, I was thinking maybe I would like to do this. Because I know, April, I want to say you had four roles that you played regularly. Is that correct? Or is it more or less than that? Uh, well, I, I was Starfleet for, for many years. Um, then I started to play a Vulcan. And first I played the Vulcan up in the experience, in the attraction itself. But after a time, then I actually went out onto the floor as one of the aliens in the um, the walk-around characters. And mm-hmm. uh, so I was... I was T'Pril, Professor T'Pril, the Vulcan, and I was also Commander Tarin, the Andorian. Uh, so I guess I had, I played every character up in the experience ride, and then I played two different characters out on the floor. But those are really separate kinds of acting. Yeah. Kirsten, what about you? I, um, uh, like April, I started in Starfleet. Uh, they actually had Starfleet divided, when we first started, there was gold rotation and maroon rotation. We literally you wore the gold uniform or the uh, red uniform, and you actually had to um, uh, you actually had different specific roles in the show, in addition to the janitor and the uh, the blues. And eventually, they did a cross training where everybody mixed, and so everybody was doing everything. So that eventually happened. April and I were selected for gold rotation when we started, and then it just slowly branched out from there. Um, I moved into Borg because uh, I was just getting stir crazy on the uh, on the Klingon encounter, and um, I never played a Borg Starfleeter. So April has me beat there because I never played Starfleet Borg, but I was 
everything in Klingon Encounter and then a Borg in uh, Borg itself. And then, of course, uh, the walk around in the last three years there. So when they would announce auditions or uh, new tryouts for new positions, that's when you could uh, in-house audition and see you didn't request something and get it. You had to you had to work for it. And um, that was always that was an always, always an interesting part of the whole experience there as an actor. And, and April, April one, one, just, oh, just to quickly say one of April's beautiful training points because for a while she was our introductory trainer when people were first hired is a lot of people would say do you hire fans and and train them to act and april's line was always our preferred um approach is to hire actors and train them to be fans uh so that we could maintain that level of professionalism and quality that we wanted to keep um, as a standard for the uh, Trek brand. And April, correct me if I'm wrong, but you are the only actor at Star Trek The Experience to simultaneously have two characters, two walk-around characters who are both represented in the ads and the promo banners at the attraction. Yes. Um, yeah. uh, the, the Andorian, Matthew Tarin, and Professor Tapril, um were... Well, obviously, I didn't play them on the same day. The only time I ever played them on the same day was the very, very last day. <laughs> they were open. But, uh, you know, I did two days a week as one character, two days a week as the other character. And um, they it was such a thrill to be allowed to portray such different characters. I mean, you know, they're worlds apart uh, in terms of of how their personalities, you know, and uh, I got to, I got to run the gamut from absolutely no emotion to, well, you've met Commander Tom Ridge. <laughs> <laughs> emotion personified. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm a little bitter uh, guys. Cause my proposal um, in the last weeks, uh, they were they were suggesting you know any kind of interesting ideas as we go into the last weeks that were open. And I did a transporter accident where April would portray uh, Commander Tapren, uh, Andorian Vulcan uh, hybrid, and uh, um, it was shot down. I'm shocked. I'm I, shocked. I was. I was very disappointed. Yeah. By the way, uh, uh, we have some business to get to, but very quickly, one of our listeners, John Kikorian, says there is a tremendous fandom uh, bar here in Las Vegas that did a big party just recently for Star Trek The Experience and the talent. I met April and Kirsten there. Such wonderful people. And it was a great party. Uh, um, yes, that was our 20th anniversary was. party at Millennium Fandom Bar. Yes. And those people went out of their way to uh, to make us welcome. There are about, I'm going to say there are 250 or so of us showed up. And it was wow. Yeah, it, it was a great time. You've got to give your props to Alex. I uh, Forgive me, Alex. I won't even try to pronounce your last name. The owner of Millennium Fandom Bar. He works very hard to build a sense of geek community here in Vegas. And he really enjoyed having us there. And we had we had um, alums from Trek uh, coming out from across the country and coming in from L.A. Uh, to uh, join us for the party and to say uh, say hello. It was it was it was really really great. And we had fans coming in from uh, 
clear across uh, the country as well. And it was wonderful. One of our other listeners, David, is calling you out, Kirsten, on your idea. He says, oh, man, visions of Tuvix. Um, to exactly. Which Earl, yeah, to which Earl says Tuvix in a leisure suit would have been Groovix. <laughs> so. All right, Ken, we got a little business. Uh, Kirsten and April, hang on with us just a moment here, and then we have a caller standing by. But first. Ah, but first, we want to remind you about our shop because, you know, who doesn't like to shop? Um, we have, uh, we, uh, we've actually had a shirt shop running for about, oh, golly, I don't know, as long as Mission Log's been on, so about five and a half years now. But it got really, um, well, dusty. And then it got really better when we hooked up with our friend Carl, who uh, does some really great design work on his own. He's actually run a shirt shop on T Public for I think it's T Public. Is it T Public? Please tell me I got that right. Oh, excellent! Yeah, he's actually run his own shirt shop on T Public for quite a while. But um, uh, the, the shirt that April is wearing, actually, can you can we switch to April? Is that possible? Because the shirt that April is yes. wearing was actually from our friend Carl, but that was a couple of years ago or three years ago, I think, when I just jokingly said. I would absolutely wear a shirt from the Ditalics Mining Corporation. And then like the next day, Carl sent in that design. And then like dopes, it took us another two and a half years to say, hey, maybe Carl would make shirts that we could actually sell to people too. So uh, if you go to missionlogpod.com, did I get that right? Uh, Lord have mercy. I'm going to mess up something every time. So it's only been six years. You got eight more to go. I know it's only our website too. It's not, not important. Uh, Missionlogpodcast.com. If you go there and you click up at the top, there's a, there's a link that says shop. And once you get there, which I think you're seeing on the screen now, all kinds of designs to check out. Uh, Some that are a tiny bit older, like cool as Kirk or ethos, pathos and logos. Some that are brand new, like, Isolinear John and Ken is there, of course, and the and the incredible Lieutenant J shirt oh. uh, that just hit. Uh, it's not Lieutenant J. I'm sorry. It's just J. It's just J. That's yeah. how cool she is now. It doesn't even need a lieutenant. You know yeah. exactly what it is when you see J emblazoned. Um, that's shirts, that's stickers, that's uh, John's favorite tapestries, which uh, I know you're a huge fan of those yeah, as well, I'm John. What else? Big, big fan. Yeah, what well, else you, is up on the site? You hit the nail on the head. You said the incredible J. And it's like, it's an incredible shirt and it's the incredible J and it's an yeah. incredible piece of artwork that, uh, that Carl did. So definitely check that one out. That one today, uh, our friend Tim, he posted that he got his in the mail and he's wearing it proudly. He posted photos on Twitter and Facebook. Meredith, our number one Mission Log Live fan, she was wearing hers. So you, you can see it if you go look for it. Uh, the J shirt has absolutely taken off. And here's what's fun. I've been posting other things. And just today, I posted an old classic. Here's a look at my robot guts. Nice. So that, of course, from uh, iMud. That was Norman wearing that shirt. So we, well, he wasn't wearing that shirt, but our shirt is based on Norman from iMud. He could have been wearing that shirt. You don't know. Um, but I just put that up today, and now there's a sale on that very item for the next two days. So you pick the color, you pick the design, and you can show off your very own robot guts. Very cool. So uh, the website again, missionlogpodcast.com and then click up at shop up at the top. And, um, and then when you, you 10% of people going to STLV, you uh, show up at STLV, uh, we'll all get together and we'll take a group picture in our shirts. And, and, you know, uh, pants are suggested as well, but we're not selling mission log pants. We'll have nope. to talk to Carl no. about that. Not mandatory. No. Well, 
Okay, right. I want to remind people how to get in touch with us. Uh, There is a Zoom link wherever you happen to be watching right now. So you should click on that Zoom link or you can give us a call 669-900-6833, 669-900-6833. I know somebody has joined us calling us. Uh, Unfortunately, I don't know who. Yeah, we don't have a name. Is the mystery caller there? Hi, it's Meredith, number one fan. Oh, wow. oh it's Meredith, number one fan. Fantastic. Hi. Hi. Um, cool. So I never got to go to the Star Trek experience, which is really sad. Um, so my question is for all of you guys, and it is, if they were going to make a new Star Trek experience in this day and age, what are the pieces from the original that you think should still be there, and what are the changes that you would make to it? Oh. Here. Uh, oh, that's so good. Yeah. All right. Can I? Re- I mean, I know you guys were part of it, but while you're thinking about it, can I tell you really quickly what needs to stay? There's nothing more boring than standing in a line where there's nothing to look at except for other people. And even when you got in line for the experience, there was this sort of history of history of exploration. Really, it wasn't even a history of space travel because it started long before we went to space. Um, but then uh, came a point where all of a sudden we're not looking at actual history of exploration anymore. We're looking at the Star Trek history of exploration. So things like Zephram Cochran taking off for the first time and, and things like that. That, that to me, is, is always one of the first things I think about, not because it was the first thing you saw, but because it was engaging. I mean, the last time I rode the experience, there was no line, and yet it took me a while to get there because there was just so much really cool stuff as you went in. I, I agree. I, the history of the future museum, which is what it was called, should definitely stay. Um, obviously, it would be extended now, much farther than it was. Um, and backwards, too, you know, because uh, we have prequels now that we didn't have before. Ooh, and it would have to go off into a parallel universe on there for J.J. first. You have a totally separate ride queue that opens to a different area by going through that. Yeah. <laughs> I love it already. Yeah. What about you, Kirsten? Uh, you know, I don't... Um... I don't know what to what to say to add, and, and I certainly would like to see more original series. Um, I was also a DS9 fan, so the Promenade uh, I really liked, and uh, the interacting with a lot of the, just the Klingon and Ferengi interactions were always entertaining. And um, I maybe I would say more aliens. When we opened, we had a lot of character walkarounds. And uh, over the years, the uh, the population kind of shrank. So I would say probably more aliens and try to write alien roles for the show itself so that there are alien characters from the very beginning. Vulcans like April, who would be in the show later on. Uh, it took a little bit of jimmying to the script to uh, – open up lines that were not dedicated to human characters and, and fold that in and to make something dedicated like that right from the beginning. Cause that's one of the hallmarks of Trek. And one of the things um, I think fans dream about is interacting with uh, not just with Starfleeters and not just with 24th century humans, but with the uh, aliens of the time. So I know that was the, that was like one of the biggest selling points of Quark's. Uh, was interacting with the aliens. So uh, that would be the thing I would mostly go for. I mean, they, they hit 
a lot of the right notes, just right down to the retail area, as well as uh, the nature of Quark's bar. So I think, you know, recreating Trek, um, just to, you know, focus on the interactive experience, much like they say the, the Star Wars one is going to be where that's going to be an interactive experience right from the get go where each individual guest is something of a character in a story, something along those lines, I think would be a great idea. Um, more stories on the floor. People enjoyed that. The interaction was just people. It's it. You can't, you can't under underrate it. You just can't. No, yeah. that, was, that was possibly the best thing that, that we did there was that interaction between the characters, each other, but, we would just pull these guests sometimes unwittingly into our little machinations and uh, uh, create these really involved stories, you know, and that would last the entire day and sometimes a couple of days. And some of those threads went on forever, you know, um, and that's what we did. And that's what made our job so exciting. So if they could, if they could pull that in and really get that, that improv, I think what we were so good at was improv within that universe, you know, cause we knew it so well and we knew ourselves so well, our characters so well, and we, we knew the other characters so well that everything we did was just, it was just like clockwork what we did, you know, occasionally some crazy thing would happen, but most of us knew each other so well that just the, the beauty of that improvisation um, was something to behold. And it was, it was probably, like I said, the best thing that we did there. I cannot disagree. Yeah, Kirsten, I, I was about to say when, when you were talking about how great that experience was with the other actors, just that interactivity. Um, you know, we've come a long way, even in the years since the experience closed. And you look at uh, what Universal has done with Harry Potter. You look at what Disney is planning to do with Star Wars, the idea of a totally immersive environment. I was I remember reading somewhere, hearing on a podcast, uh, maybe it's all rumor, so don't quote me on it. But the idea that when I go into Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, I won't be able to buy a Star Wars T-shirt. Because that's not something that is in the universe of Star Wars. Now, if I go to Tomorrowland and I go to the Star Trader shop, I can buy a Star Wars t-shirt there or I can buy a toy branded with Star Wars. But when I'm in that world, I'm truly in that world. And they don't want anything to break that illusion, which sounds really cool. So I love the idea of, you know, the promenade was great. You had all these shops and then... The rides were one thing. The attractions were one thing. But just sitting at the bar, sitting in the restaurant, having the characters come up and talk to you and say something hilarious. And that that is the most memorable thing. I, I remember to this day, Michael, uh, Michael Hartnett as uh, which board was he? Three of 16? Three of six. Three of six. Yeah. Uh, I, I remember him. Uh, the as soon as I saw him asking, can we take a picture? And he said, I do not have one for you to take. And it was, uh, he, he must've said it a million times, but it was absolutely the perfect Borg like answer. And he was wonderful in that. Yeah. So a April, you, you hit upon it. You said that uh, the, the actors did such a great job at, at 
carrying out these storylines that would last a day or weeks or longer. And it always worked really well, except when it didn't. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I want to know about. Well, Kirsten Mm -hmm. was my nemesis in more ways than one. (laughs) He was he was Commander Tarin's the thorn in her side, basically. But she he the two of them were never on the time station at the same time. Uh, they didn't want two Andorians together, so he they would put him with me when I was Professor to Prill. You know, very prim, proper, subdued, and it seemed to be his his job to crack me up. To make, <laughs> and uh, yeah, he did that a couple of times, and it was quite mortifying to poor Professor Tabrell. I'm there was, shocked. There, I'm there was shocked. one. There was one time I got her twice in five minutes. She just had to turn about and walk off the floor. It was great. <laughs> it was just great. And the, the thing was, is it's not even like I really tried. I would just have typical Kirsten April banter, but in our characters. And at some point I could hit that right note and April just had to walk away. So it's okay because on those very, very rare occasions that Tarin and Kastran got together, Tarin was always ripping Kastran a new one. So that was always fun because Kastran hated working under Tarin. Tarin was in charge of the Andorian delegation and he just sat there and undercut her every chance he got mm-hmm. and april was brilliant at it yes. when they brought in the Migo action figures when they brought in uh, uh the or, or the 12 inch action figures and they bring in an andorian and it was male tarin would just rage around the station that she didn't get her figure. She was promised a figure and she didn't get it and she would just be so upset Oh, oh, but wait a minute. Cut, cut to April. Wait, what do you have there? Please explain. It's a Tyron Barbie. Oh, because that is so good. He did that so much. That is amazing. Who, who made that? Actually, actually, our friend Vernon knew somebody who worked for Mattel who um, pretty much gave him all the parts and he put it together. Oh. That is incredible. So Tarvin finally got her Barbie. (laughs) And she got a Barbie, no less. That's great. (laughs) You know, you know, it's so funny, though. You know, after all that stuff, he would torture me. But one of the things that was so great about what we did is that even if there was no one around, if we were out on one of our walk arounds and there was no one to talk to, we would still talk to each other in character. We didn't drop character at all. As long as, as long as we were out there, you walked out that door into the, you know, into Quarks and, and you were whatever character you were and it didn't matter what happened. And so, yeah, we would walk around. Sometimes we'd walk through the museum, through the queue line and uh, we never talked to each other like Kirsten and April. We talked in character. Um, I don't think there are many acting jobs where you do that, you know? 
Hey, um, can I go back to a question? Well, hold on. Uh, first of all, let's remind people. Thank you very much, Meredith, for calling in. And if anybody else wants to, we still have a very few minutes left. So hit the Zoom link or call 669-900-6833. Uh, 669-900-6833. I want to go back to something that's kind of, I don't know, may seem mundane, but I'm curious about it. You mentioned that you had 30 or 40 shows a day sometimes, which means 30 or 40 groups of people coming through, which means you guys were dealing with the public a lot. We asked about the training earlier as far as the acting. Uh, Tell me what went into the safety part of that. I mean, were you guys like, if something went wrong, were you guys the people who, okay, I'm no longer serving you drinks. I'm now getting you safely off this, you know, shuttle. Or were you the people who stood back and let, you know, somebody else come in and, and shepherd everybody out? Uh, no, we often uh, would have to take people out if there was a fire alarm, which in the first year happened quite a bit. Mm. Uh, more to do with the Hilton than it did with us. But that fire alarm would go off and boom, we were taking people out, um, you know, there were some emergencies where we had to deal with the public, you know, keep them calm, move them out. Uh, yeah, that was part of our training. Um, and we were all trained. In fact, in fact, uh, I helped to write the, the training manual about the equipment and how it worked, because when they gave us all the stuff um, about the equipment, it was written in God. You know, so what I had to do basically was uh, make it understandable so I could train other people how to how to run this equipment and the things that could go wrong with it uh, and what to do. I mean, we did have um, an e-stop on all of the pieces of equipment, which would shut it down immediately. Uh, it's also called a kill switch, I think. And um, anytime that would happen, of course, there would be techs would come in and fix the issue, but we were often the people that would have to get everybody out. So nobody got hurt. So then if there's a fire alarm and all of a sudden, you know, you've been the person who's guiding them on this fake experience. And now they're saying, no, seriously, we got to move. I mean, is there a moment where they're like, Oh, ha, ha, ha. Oh, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, we didn't, you know, we didn't drop our characters necessarily. Right, right, right. But, and we didn't yell at them to scream, or run or scream at them or anything like that. Um, I just, we just did it, you know? And I guess sometimes they probably thought it was all part of. Yeah, I, I've heard, I've heard one or two stories of people who had no idea. Cause you know, you get on the enterprise in the story and instantly you've got these authoritative people saying, go here, go there, over there now, move it. And so there would be these moments when people would be like, ladies and gentlemen, please follow me this way. And you're going through doors that open with panic bars and they're on hinges. And then you're all of a sudden outside in the Hilton parking lot. And that's when people realize something went wrong. Yeah. So that could actually happen. But that was part of our training, our job. We were actors and ride operators. Yeah. So we were fully trained. All of our training included the uh, safety procedures involved in the fire alarms, evacuations, and so on. Uh, Chris Riker in the chat says she stayed at her post when the trainees ran. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Matthew Corey says at least the techs weren't dressed as pack leads. That's a good point. Very good point, Matthew. Yeah. They were smart. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> they made it go. They did. Yeah. they did indeed. 
Mm. Hey, um, are we doing the lightning round tonight or are we not doing the lightning round tonight? Oh, light, lightning round? Uh, what, what is this lightning round you speak yeah. of? Yeah. yeah, that's what that's what everybody always says. So we're going to do the lightning round in just a moment. Really quickly, though, before we do that, I want to remind you about something that's coming up in about 35, 40 minutes. Uh, the people from Priority One, also a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast, are going to be broadcasting live or podcasting live or narrow casting or whatever. Uh, every Tuesday night at 1130 Eastern, 830 Pacific, Elijah, Kenna, Tony, and Winters bring you news from all over the Star Trek multiverse. That's TV and movie news, gaming news, literary reviews, all kinds of fun stuff. Uh, they kick off their show about 40 minutes after our show. So what you do is you go to Facebook.com slash Priority One Podcast, and then you watch Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast being uh, made live and if you can't do that live because i know it's getting late for some people uh go to wherever you get podcasts and just download priority one because even if you can't be there for the wackiness that is the live show um they do a just a really good really tight show um that comes out every friday uh, talking about all that stuff that we were talking about plus other stuff they don't do live so priority one is the show uh catch them live in about a little bit over half an hour or catch them uh, not live at other times so uh, what I'm hearing, because John is the guy who, who talks to our guests, generally right. speaking, before the show starts, I, I, I cannot be approached. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're, you're difficult like that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, t- I am, I'm, I'm horrible where those yeah. things are concerned. Yeah. Uh, generally speaking, John doesn't tell people about the lightning round. Oh, but, see, uh, I, yeah, I forgot again this week. I, yeah. This, yeah. It's weird how that keeps happening. Every- yeah, I'm so sorry. I, I'm but you guys have probably seen a game show or two, so you probably get the idea. The lightning round is we throw questions at you as quickly as we can, and you throw answers back to us as quickly as you can. Are you game? I'm pretty slow, but, you know, what the heck? I'll give it a <laughs> uh, Yeah, let's uh, see how, how horrible this goes. All right. That's the spirit. These- these are actually weird questions for these guys, though, because I think they've actually answered some of them already. Like, um, I know uh, favorite Star Trek series we've done, but here, this will just get you, you know, set up and rolling. Uh, favorite Star Trek series? Uh, next gen. Okay. TOS. TOS, all right, good. Uh, you can't say Andorian, and you can't say Vulcan. See, that got, that got edited on the fly. Mm-hmm, it sure did. Uh, what Star Trek race or species would you be uh, you, you can't be Andorian or Vulcan. April. Orion. Kirsten. Changeling. Then I'll be anything. Then I can be Andorian. <laughs> ah, that's interesting. Changeling would be good, and I would love to see that makeup, honestly. Uh, for both of you, uh, we'll start with Kirsten this time, because otherwise it's just the same thing over and over again. Uh, favorite Star Trek bad guy? Oh, um... You know, uh, wow, that's pretty, that's a good question. Actually, I'll go with, I'm going to go with Mark Leonard playing the Romulan commander in Balance of Terror. Uh, First appearance of the Romulans. It was a great uh, first appearance of villains, actually. I mean, they were, they were pushing for, well, this is a lousy lightning round, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> you were <laughs> pushing for the Romulans to be the regular villains, and they ended up going with the Klingons. But uh, it, it was, it was a, I, I just loved that episode, and I thought that character was just a wonderful, honorable uh, adversary and, a, and a, real, a real cool match for Kirk. All right, April, favorite Star Trek bad guy. 
Oh God, I can't remember his name, but it was the There Are Four Lights guy. Oh yeah, David Warner in uh, Chain of Command. Yeah, yeah. his character name. Uh, he was Gull something. Oh. Um, yeah. All right. Uh, favorite uh, favorite Star Trek starship, April. Uh, the Enterprise D. I lived on it. Okay, Kirsten. Same question. Favorite Star Trek starship. Oh, I go. I would go back and forth between the Constitution class, uh, whether it's uh, the the classic design or uh, or the refit or the e i love the design of the enterprise e that was a sweet sweet uh setup and so i'll take that pick those are all correct answers good uh have you seen the animated series and uh, i'm certain for both of you the answer is yes um no oh what listen to all your podcasts about it (laughs) fair enough Kirsten yes I have yes I have okay Uh, probably favorite episode is more tribbles more troubles wow okay Uh, a little uh, dark horse candidate there most people say yesteryear but uh, we'll we'll add you to the list we'll add your vote yesteryear is great it really really is great Um, I, I, I have to admit that's a pretty good answer Favorite item on the menu at Quark's Bar, the now long-closed Quark's Bar? Oh, the flaming ribs of Targ. That, that is a correct answer, yes. Yeah. Uh, Kirsten? It, it's the ribs of Targ. If, if I can't duplicate April, then I'll switch to, I actually enjoyed the Starfleet uh, chopped salad. Um, it was actually, uh, it had shrimp in it, and it was, uh, it was a real dense solid salad. I loved it. Had that many, many times. They layered it. It was served beautifully. Now I want one. Thank you. Way to go. Way to go. Great. I'm going to cut this a, a tiny bit short because I have a, one other real question I want to get to. So we do have a customary last question. Have either of you ever been to Vulcan, Alberta, Canada? No, but uh, I would love to go. I'm going to Montreal. I don't know how far away that is. <laughs> I'm, I'm given to understand that uh, Vulcan, Alberta is really not close to anything <laughs> is what I hear. But, uh, you know, if you happen by, tell them we said, hey, I do have one real question. Unfortunately, we're running so short on time. I'm going to ask one of you to raise your hand and tell me if you think you have the best one. Because so many people came through, and as you said, April, or, or yeah, as you said, April, I mean, everybody was coming through for the first time. Is there is there one group? Is there one individual? Is there one guest that this many years later stands out for you? Oh, gosh. Well, I got to be Ensign Thomas, which was one of the Starfleet officers for Commander Riker when he came through. So Jonathan Frakes, and he Whoa. was a big, happy bear of a guy, you know, coming through big grim on his face the whole time. And uh, as he got up the turbo lift, uh, he was just smiling and he said, nice job, Ensign Thomas. And he walked away. So uh, I'll never forget that. That was fun. That's Kristen. I, um, I actually did Ensign Thomas for uh, Leonard Nimoy. And um, that was, that was as intimidating as you thought, because they did a special show for him and his entourage they surrounded him with like a six foot bubble of emptiness. So walking down the transit corridor at one point, it was just me and him. And that, that was, that's just going to, you know, turn your guts to jelly. 
So, well, coincidentally, six foot bubble of emptiness is the name of Ken's album. Uh, so, folks, coming up on Mission Log Live, make sure you tune in every Tuesday night. We have some amazing guests lined up. Next week, we have Chase Masterson, who will be talking about Pop Hero uh, Coalition, and uh, she will be bringing a special guest of her own. And then coming up soon after that, we have a world-renowned voiceover artist and part of a little show called Star Trek Continues, Vic Mignogna. So make sure you tune in to Mission Log Live upcoming Tuesdays. Guys, thank you so much, April Bear and Kirsten Japansky from Star Trek The Experience. I feel like there's so much more we, we could talk about with you, but sadly, we're up against the clock. We'll do it again sometime. Awesome. Absolutely. Thank you. Mission Log Live is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. Executive producer Rod Roddenberry. Technical production on Mission Log Live by Infinity Networks. Producer Brandon Bradley. Uh, be sure to visit podcast.roddenberry.com for the latest from the Roddenberry Podcast Network, including not just Mission at Log, uh, Mission at Log, whatever. <laughs> this show. show, other shows, including Women at Warp and Priority One and The Track Files. Uh, thanks to everybody who joined us live. Thanks to everybody who downloaded it later. And we will talk to you next week. Podcast.roddenberry.com The Roddenberry Podcast Network